Welcome to Robin Wesley and Church Online. My name is Brock. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you've joined us. Thanks for coming. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you want to message us somehow. We'd love to hear how you're with us. Uh, I've got a couple of announcements for us. We have two podcasts available for you. Uh, one of this service, but there's also another one of our youth service. So it's on the website anchor.fm slash discoverlife. And it's a weekly, very brief podcast for the youth. We discuss it on Thursday nights. And we have a podcast of this service. So if ever you can't view the video, but you still want to hear what's going on, the sermon is available on the same website, anchor.fm slash Roblin Wesleyan Church. Uh, that's got some dashes in there. So please note that. Uh, another couple of announcements. Coming up for Halloween, we're going to be doing a trunk retreat, which is like a pop-up suburb in our church parking lot. It's going to be a great time because we're going to have so many of our people here pouring out love and sugar on the children of our community. So if you have kids, bring them out. If you have neighbors who have kids, tell them to come here because there's the most sugar in the least amount of space. One drive, lots of candy, lots of good times. If you want to be one of the trunks, uh, you can... Email the church admin at robinwesleyan.com and we've got a bit of information for you. But the gist is you dress up your trunk, you put some candy in it, you dress up, you come to the church on Halloween from 5 to 7. Uh, the kids will be coming and we're going to give out some candy to those in our community to be a light for Christ, regardless of how dark the day may seem. Another exciting thing coming up is Christmas. It's almost Christmas because Thanksgiving's over. We're already planning for the end of Halloween and we are starting to prep for our Christmas choir. So if you want to be involved in that, we have a digital recording. We're going to have live presentations. If either or both of those are your speed, we'd love to hear from you. So you can sign up at admin at roblinwesleyan.com. Well, those are the main announcements. Uh, please note that we, we have in-person services every Sunday at 9 and 10.30 here in the building. We'd love to have you with us. Uh, there's lots of space for you. And if you want to give to the church, you can e-transfer us or you can drop off a check or uh, cash in the cash box by the door. Anyway, that's it for our announcements. Uh, the Fords are going to lead us in worship. So let's get our hearts ready because God wants to encounter us. God bless you. This is part three of a series called All I've Commanded You, or Teach Them to Obey All I've Commanded You. It's the, one of the closing phrases Jesus said before he returned to heaven, and it's, it's very interesting. I hope you've been able to track with us, or maybe you can go back and watch them if you haven't seen them yet. Uh, but this is a, a very interesting thing Jesus commands of us, and it makes everything he said into two tiers. Uh, Jesus commands you, his follower, that you need to follow these commandments, uh, these things that he says we all must do. You need to practice them yourself. But then the second tier of this is he expects us, his followers, to teach them to his followers. And that's, that makes things very interesting. How, how is that going for you, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you? Are you following him? Are you helping others? I'm a professional minister. It's, it's my job. I organize, lead, and encourage the church. Uh, but discipleship, that's not a profession. That's the calling of every Christian. If you want to follow Jesus, he welcomes you, but he requires you to learn to walk like him, which includes inviting others and teaching them how to walk like you, who walks like Jesus. It's kind of mind-bending how these loops happen. 
Uh, but one of my rules here at the office is to keep stats of the church. And I, I'm a numbers guy. I like numbers. I'm not good at math, but I love graphs. I don't know how that works out. Um, but attendance and participation, those are the things I track and record and visualize. Uh, how do we, though, evaluate, measure these qualitative changes in our relationships that is discipleship? That is, that is a hard thing to measure, and it's something we statisticians in the church often talk about. It. How, do you, how do you measure discipleship? Is it in attendance? Well, not really, but hmm. even hours spent together is not a good measurement because the quality of time varies. And the fruit of this time spent, we can't really measure either because it might not show up for days or years. But here's a question for you that might help clarify this measurement of discipleship. Um, how much of your focus, how much of your day, your calendar, do you spend on this main thing of life? I'm going to start talking here a little bit about 1 Corinthians, the end of 10, start of 11. Um, Paul here, this is just the summary of the end of chapter 10. Paul here is saying everything is lawful or allowed, but not everything is helpful. So don't look to your own good, but look to what helps those around you. And then starting a quote here, 1032. So whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews, kind of the religious people of the day, or the Greeks, the secular, or to the church of God, the followers of Christ. Just as I try to please everyone in everything and not seeking my own advantage, but that, the, but that of many, so he's seeking the advantage of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How, how is that going for you? Do you look like Jesus? So much that people... Uh, can tell you think and act like Jesus. This is this is heavy stuff. It's hard to consider and evaluate. Maybe we're going to be too harsh with ourselves or too generous. And I think it's important to invite Jesus into this evaluation. Uh, it's it's good. So anyway, we're going to review what we've done so far. Uh, we the first thing Jesus said in the Gospels, his first commandment was to repent. Uh, and we've said for a couple weeks now that this idea means to change our mind and change our focus. That we're, we're thinking and doing a different thing. We're just changing our focus. You change your understanding. I have a question for us. It's not a, a judgment. I don't mean it to be harsh. Um, but a question for you to consider as we spend the day with the Lord. Uh, to Sabbath means to sit, and it's a time to reflect that God is the one who does the work of life and that we can trust him. We can take a day to rest. So a question for you to consider in our day of rest. Do you have more in common with Christians around the world or with our fellow Canadians? Whose culture do you follow more closely? Hmm. And what does this mean to our understanding of the world? Just a question to consider. What do you have in common with most? Uh, he also told us to remember his covenant. Uh, this is the Lord's Supper, communion, uh, to remember his covenant, to eat and drink in remembrance of him. 
and he told us to pray in a specific way, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so that was the first week. Last week we talked about uh, many, he, he summarized many commandments, trying to summarize the whole law and prophets. Uh, and he said, in the end, it is be perfect like God. Um, and I think this is mostly in character. I am not the creator of the universe, and I won't become like him in that regard, I don't think. Uh, I don't think I'm like God in that I can create out of nothing, or that I am the, the unmoved mover, as those old philosophers would say. Uh, I am moved by God. I am created by him. I am finite. I am limited. But I think he wants us to represent him in his character, that we would be like him. And uh, I think he also wants us to be like him in his power. Uh, the first century Jews, they, they walked in God's power, and they did miracles and signs and wonders and crazy things. And maybe they were a little power-obsessed, that they thought they could form some sort of holy revolt against Rome. And I think we as Canadian Christians are a little power-averse, that we, we have the appearance of godliness, but we, we don't have the power. Uh, they were sent out to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. And we tend to shrink back from these things, that we don't often pray with boldness for healing. Uh, I don't know how many of us are going out casting out demons. And it's not because there's no demons in Canada. We are not some safe haven from darkness. They, they were sent to raise the dead. We tend to shrink back from these spiritual things uh, because we're uncomfortable with the supernatural, I think. And I've often heard and often felt that what if I pray and nothing happens? Uh, last year, it was, I'm a little embarrassed, but I was called in uh, kind of hastily to do some chaplaincy stuff at the hospital because someone was passing away. And it was kind of a hasty drive to the hospital from Roblin up here, and it's about 20 minutes to get there. And on the drive in, I was getting all worked up and anxious. And Lord, uh, is this some young person that you want me to go and pray that they would be resurrected if I arrive and they've already died? And uh, can, can I do that? What happens if I mishear you, God, and that's not what you want to do? And I, I make a fool of you in your faith that I say you would raise them and then you don't. Or what if I lack the courage or the clarity that you wanted me to pray that way and I don't? And then what happens? And I was stuck in my own head trying to imagine what God would have me do. And it took me most of the drive to realize that God wasn't calling me to pray for resurrection. And when I arrived, it was the, the passing of an elderly lady. And uh, she had just had a beautiful day with her son who had took her out to lunch and she wanted to go for ice cream and she had this moment of clarity and just had a lovely pain-free lunch and then passed away on her way back to uh, her home. It was a, a beautiful time and uh, I, I was full of anxiety about this prayer and I, I don't know why. But do we, do we have God's character? Do we have his power? Hmm. We are, Jesus commanded us to, to be perfect, to be like God. 
He also commanded us, as we discussed last week, not to worry, because he can take better care of your life than you can. So, that's our study to date. Today we're picking up at Matthew 7, if you want to follow along. I encourage you to take notes, less on what I'm saying, I'm not some amazing profound teacher, uh, but on what God says to you through the scriptures and through my words. I hope I can be a catalyst to what God is doing with you, because he is there, and he is wise, and he loves you so much. So would you open your hearts to hear from him, however that happens for you. Uh, it often comes to me, uh, when God speaks to me, is when I have a pen in hand. So I encourage you, become good at hearing from God clearly. Hmm. He wants to be close to us. So, yes, let's focus in on God. What else did Jesus command us? Um, I've heard a lot of interesting appraisals of people these days. Uh, people discuss our political leaders and say, that was stupid. They're a degenerate failure. And we're no longer discussing their actions. We're discussing who they are and judging them, not their deeds. And we aren't called to judge people. That is not our role. We ought to instead disagree with their actions. And we ought to pray about it. Uh, my father-in-law has this line of, have I, have I prayed as much as I have complained uh, about a person, about a situation, that all of life is meant to point us to God and that we would reflect God to life. So where am I in that? Uh, we need to come to terms with people being flawed. They don't need it pointed out. They're well aware of their brokenness. Unless it's a divinely inspired intervention, you calling them out just wounds them more. They're aware of their brokenness, and this sours their relationship and builds walls between them and the good news of God's acceptance of his enemies. We're not called to war against humanity. We're not even called to war against the darkness. The light doesn't struggle to drive out the shadow. The light just goes places and shadow flees. The brighter you burn for God, the more love you pour out, the farther darkness is driven. So Matthew 7, Jesus says, don't judge. And then this, there's a scary effect attached to this command. Jesus keeps giving commands and effects. And I find that very interesting that the king of the universe would give these consequences. He said, repent, because the kingdom is near. And now he says, judge not, lest you be judged. That there's some sort of correlation here. Uh, I don't think this means that if we have no standards, no standard will be applied to us. We are all measured by God's standard, and he already said, be perfect like God. But I think what he's trying to get at here, that maybe we lose in our English Western mindsets, is that he wants us to be gracious, that we may experience God's grace. And we have experienced God's grace, so how can we not be gracious with others? I think it's a, a very clear line in our own hearts when we have received a good thing, but we don't pay that forward. So the definition of to judge means to separate, to decide, to compare, to divide. It's the opposite of impartial. God wants us to be impartial to people, that we wouldn't look down on them. 
This brings to mind a, a funny habit my dad had. Uh, I can remember many times growing up, mom would want to repaint or rearrange the furniture, uh, redo the wallpaper, and she would suggest something to dad. And his canned reply every time was, I have no opinion. Uh, that he was impartial to whether the walls stayed the same color or changed. He was impartial if the living room furniture was changed or not for the fourth time that year. He was indifferent to that. And it was whatever mom wanted was what was. And I think we would do well to be like that with people. Uh, they're aware, Romans 1 says, that they are far from God and that their actions separate them from him. And our pointing it out doesn't draw them in. God's kindness leads us to repentance. And I think we do well to be kind as well. Uh, right after this, though, Matthew 7, 6 uh, it's interesting. This isn't a command. I thought it was. I looked it up in some Greek stuff, and it's the past. Oh, my grammar is failing me. But it's not a command. It's a, a kind of wise advice. Oh, here it is. It's the past active subjunctive or hypothetical for those who don't speak grammar. I had to look up what all that meant. Matthew 7, 6. Don't give to dogs what's holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot, and turn to attack you. It's not a command. Jesus is just giving us wisdom for life. Don't try to give things to people if they can't receive it. Um, anyway, he goes back to commanding right after this. He commands us to ask, to seek, to knock. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. And knock and the door will be opened. And he does this, he, he gives us all these things. He gives, he lets us find, and he opens the door for us because he's good. He, he is better than us. And we would do this for a friend or for family. Yeah, but these aren't laws of physics. They aren't things to be manipulated to our advantage. Nothing to be mined out of the ground. These aren't rules. These are guidelines to our relationship. These are guidelines to the culture of his kingdom. As we walk with Jesus, as we follow him, he commands us to interact with him. We aren't allowed to follow at a distance, to be politely quiet with him. He's saving us to a relationship that makes the warm intimacy of marriage seem like a cold formalism in contrast to the love that he has for us. He wants us close. He wants us familiar the High and Holy One is inviting you up to be with Him. So ask Him for things. He wants to give them to you. It's rude to ignore His plenty in the face of our lack. This formalism or this self-sufficiency creates distance. It's not a bother to ask. He is not the less for giving it to us. It, it's a little rude to not ask Him for things. And he is telling us, commanding us, his followers, his children, his beloved, to ask so he can give it. He will give it. Now, also, just after this, chapter 8, uh, there's a leper who asks Jesus to be healed. God could have healed him without interaction, but God desires us to know him. And I think it's in this asking we know him, because he is in the place of having he is the have, we are the have not. 
He is full of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and I lack those things. He also has all the stuff in the world. And he said that we shouldn't worry about our life because he's going to look after us. He's going to give us all the food we need, all the shelter we need. He wants to look after us. He wants to manage our image for us. He wants to care for us. Hmm. But he doesn't always heal. Isn't that troubling? So some pillars we need to hang on to here. He is good. God is capable. And he's waiting for you to ask him. But he's not guaranteeing a yes either. Hmm. Now there's some mind-bending tensions to hold on to. He wants us to enter into relationship, to step off the shore of safety and swim in the ocean of his goodness and greatness. He is good and he is able. So why not ask him? C.S. Lewis, a very wise and godly man, once said that a man isn't forced to wait on God unless God determines that it's good for him to do so. Sometimes the waiting or the not having the thing we've asked for is somehow good for us. And I don't claim to understand that at all. But I know God is good, and I know he is able. And somehow, between those two truths and time and process, it is still true. And I can't give you an answer for those things. Because I'm not God, and these aren't laws of physics to be manipulated. He is a person to relate to. So go engage with this God who is good. He wants us to look for good things, and he wants to help us find them. He wants to show you so much, but are you looking? Life can be a treasure hunt, but we might miss it. We might have our eyes down. The doors that are shut in front of you, knock on the ones that you sense he's behind. That's, that's pretty vague, and that's because I'm not trying to give you life direction. I'm trying to point you to the one we're supposed to follow. God has a way of giving us what we want as a kind of reward or judgment, and it's, it's a little troubling. Um, he is leading you to life. That's where he's headed, and if you're headed anywhere else, it will end in death. Whether pleasant or not, fast or slow, there is no real life apart from him. So in 7.12, if you're following along there in Matthew, uh, he said, Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Uh, and the command there is, do to them whatever you wish. Whatever you wish you would have received, give that to them. Do for them what you have longed for. This goes hand in hand with not judging. Be gracious to them. Be reminded that we have no moral high ground to stand on and look down. We fell short. We are rescued by his kindness. So our judgmentalism and harshness wins no one. We are loved and we were loved when we were hated. 
We must learn to love those who are different than us without becoming them. Hmm. This, is, this is a big challenge, to love someone but not become like them. And this, this gets back into that, are we more Christian or Canadian? Oh. I watched a fascinating video this morning about bullying. And uh, a gentleman was speaking on a stage to some school children, and he invited one of them up, a volunteer. And he instructed this volunteer, this young lady, to uh, bully him, to put him down, to call him names. And uh, they, he had a mic, and she would say something, and then he would respond back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it takes three or five minutes to get to his point, which kind of felt a little slow. It was powerful, but I, I won't show it now for the sake of time. This volunteer called him names. And when he responded in zeal and echoed her pain and her name calling and defended himself, it intensified. They paused, they tried again. And she said, you're stupid. You always screw up and no one likes you. And he accepted her harshness and redirected it and then spoke truth. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm no genius. I mess up sometimes, but my happiness isn't determined by your acceptance of me. And she said, yeah, but you're stupid. And he said, oh, but you're beautiful. And she lost all of her steam when he returned kindness for her pain. She ran out of harsh words. And this is a fabricated scenario, you know. Life might not turn around when you run into that harsh person who is uh, antagonizing to you. It might not turn around in the course of two sentences. Uh, it might take longer to win over the hurt. Maybe, maybe we will never win. But we are connected to an inexhaustible source of love. And we don't need to wear out. Jesus said, uh, enter by the narrow gate. It's another command. It's kind of hard to understand, though. He said, it's not easy, and few find it. It's hard. Uh, this summer, I got the opportunity to finish a hike that I started years ago. Uh, it is a narrow path, the Fundy Footpath. It's one of the hardest hikes in Canada, and the path is narrow, and it is hard. Big hills up and down. And it's through the woods on the coast of the uh, Bay of Fundy. Beautiful, beautiful landscape. Uh, I was hiking in the morning, and it was in August, and it, it was still quite warm out in the sun. But in the woods, there was a beautiful mist. I don't know if it was from all the humidity from the sea or from the dew in the morning. But, you know, when the, the sun comes through and hits kind of a misty fog, and there's just these beams of light. That was the whole forest for the entire day. And it was a beautiful day. Hmm. It was, it was hard though. Following someone would have negated all of my difficulties navigating. The hills, they are just as big. But to follow someone would have avoided climbing the same hill twice. We are commanded to teach them to obey to teach them the narrow path of life. I think this involves a few sermons and much living. I don't think Jesus was hung up on historical methods or tools. Uh, they are a tool and they're as helpful as long as they work. Maybe your chisel needs sharpening and honing. Maybe it's broken. 
When the chisel is dull, we sharpen it. When it's broken, you don't use it anymore. So I don't know how your tools of discipleship are, but ask Jesus in this moment. He continues to teach with this foundational truth. Uh, maybe you've heard the story of the house built on the sand and on the rock. He said his words, his teaching, his way of life is the rock. And he wants to build you and build your life on the rock. Now, these illustrations, they might be a little abstract to we in limestone land in Canada. No one has to build on sand, nor do we worry about yearly rains coming and flooding and washing our houses away. Um, but have you ever seen what frost can do? Jesus is inviting us to dig deep and to get below the frost line of life, that we won't be heaved around by circumstance. To follow Jesus is to do a lot of extra work. Uh, when the days are sunny and the frost is all but forgotten. But to ignore him, Jesus said, makes him a foolish man. Not Jesus. Makes the one who doesn't listen, who doesn't do what he says. Without him, we'll have no footing, and our efforts, they will not last. A life with Christ might be harder than those who cut corners. And the path isn't easy, but neither are we. But neither are we so weak that we can't walk it. So back to hiking again. I felt really strong at first. I started uh, with a full stomach and lots of water. But shortly after, a few hills down the road, breakfast was spent. The sun warmed up, but a snack was near to hand. And uh, the water was plentiful. And I kept finding all these lovely streams that were pleasantly cool. So my water was always fresh. But uh, at the end of day one and a kind of restless night on the beach, day two came and my legs weren't fresh anymore. But the blisters, they weren't fresh either. The biggest hills were ahead of me today and the trail mix that was once energizing had now become a chore of chewing. The streams that seemed to refill my water so plentifully, they were now distant and not quite close enough. Did I hold off drinking some so I could always have a bit? Or do you drink it now, trusting that there's water ahead? Hmm. I was away from the coast now and out of the shade, in the sun, full of blisters. And the path felt hard and narrow. The idea of just laying down had crossed my mind several times. But I had to, but I had to make it to my pickup. I can't be late, and I can't not be there. Can you imagine my pregnant wife's reaction when her husband goes for a hike and she goes to retrieve him from the agreed-upon destination and time, and he's not there? No, I have to make it. I have to. My phone was dying, so my ability to GPS that I was here and slow was not able. I needed refreshing, and I didn't have the ability to do it on my own anymore. But we... We are not alone in life. We can be with others if we choose to be. I got out of the woods and to the entrance at the welcome station. And with cool drinks and refreshing snacks and picnic tables and blackberries that grew on the ditch, oh, it, was, it was rest. They even had an outlet and I was able to charge my phone and I was refreshed. I wonder how often 
God has refreshing for us, a detour available for us, and we press past. He knows the road is hard, but his son desires a bride, and he desires a bride for his son who can run with him. So Paul said, a man who walked the narrow way, the hard way, he said 1 Corinthians in 4, 16 to 18, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And he continues in uh, chapter 5, 4 and 6. 1 and 3 are the same vein, but for the sake of time. For while we are still in this tent, huh, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, so we are always of good courage. Courage is character at its testing point, that we would always be full of the fruit of the Spirit. And John told us in our first week there, two weeks ago, that we bear fruit in keeping with repentance by continually changing our focus and our understanding to be like Jesus, to be of the kingdom. So let's enter this narrow gate to walk this narrow way. As we said at the start, this series is twofold, two tiers. Jesus is commanding us to do all these things. And he also commands us to teach others. Who are you teaching? Who are they? Do they come to mind right now? If not, that's, that's interesting. Um, how will you teach them? Normally, I'm not a betting man, but I bet that Jesus wants to talk to you about this. Maybe there's some unique setting that you and your disciple can interact in. Maybe it's a cafe or a car ride, maybe in a canoe or a work site, in the midst of chores or during commercial breaks. Maybe it's in a book club or a devotional on the Bible app. I don't know where Jesus would have you disciple, but I know he wants to speak to it. Maybe there is some urgent practice for them to know right now that's so timely to their life stage or to a coming circumstance that Jesus is trying to warn them through you. Maybe there's a lesson they need to understand or some foundations that need to be laid for future things ahead. Jesus wants them to know him most. So let him speak to you. Let him speak to you about how to bring more people into his kingdom. He wants to talk to you. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before his presence, the presence of his glory, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.